Hey guys, it's Lori here. Just letting you know that this episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 180, Helping Kids Navigate a Porn-Saturated World. Hello and welcome, yes, to that Hole in My Heart podcast where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone, every day. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and you guys, your one request at the end of last season was more Matt and more Steve. (laughs) And what did I do? But our babysitter got sick and there's no Matt. So I'm so sorry, you guys. I promise. No, I'm not going to promise. I can't promise anything. Lord willing, he'll be with us in the next episode. But we do have our ever faithful and most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. I'm so glad you're here. Do you miss Matt? I sure do. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's been a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, guys, I am so excited to share with you today's conversation where we talk with Josh Glazer and Daniel Weiss about how to help kids navigate the world that's just super saturated with pornography. And honestly, while we were having this conversation today, I had some anxiety. Steve, did you hear it? A little bit. I was feeling anxiety because they were talking about what ages to talk to our kids about the mechanics of sex. How did you feel about that? Oh, well... I'm glad that I've had the talk with my kids by now, but my youngest is 18. You just sat him down yesterday? We just took care of that right before (laughs) before we recorded. (laughs) No, you guys are going to hear about uh, their recommended ages. I'm not going to lie. I need to like process and do Mm -hmm. some research on what the best age is. Um, I... I, it's so funny doing this sexuality ministry, and yet I definitely want to protect my kids times a thousand billion, which what well, parent doesn't, right. I mean, unless you're like a sociopath. But anyway, that's another episode. Uh, but we're also going to talk about what to do if, your kid, if you discover pornography on your kid's phone, on their computer. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to do big like arc plot meta narrative of the Bible and how we as parents, what do we need to know in our minds and hearts and grasp in order to even have these tough conversations with our kids, whether they're five Five years old, he said, Steve, or 18, as was you yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we introduce them onto the show and have you guys hear the conversation, I did want to let you know that I like went through our website and I slashed, I slashed prices everywhere. I just want to get you guys some of our resources, including our Impossible Marriage book. We've got our Impossible like Marriage Retreat thing. We got $10 Journeywell books, which that's my discipleship journey uh, with my uh, mentor, Carolyn. So guys, go go snag some books. We're I'm like, at this point, I'm giving them away, but 10 bucks each on our site. That's lauriecreek.com. Just click on shop. Guys, I am so excited to welcome to the show today, Josh Glazer and Daniel Weiss. Josh Glazer is the executive director of Regeneration, a Christ-centered ministry that helps men, women, and families to learn and live God's good, holy, and beautiful design for sexuality. Josh has been married to his wife, Jamie, for 20 years and acquired a fondness for coffee sometime amidst of the birth of their four daughters and one son. That was the same for my husband, Matt, uh, who didn't drink coffee until our oldest daughter was born. Uh, Daniel Weiss is the executive director of the Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit and has a passion for the sexually broken and the need for pastors, parents, and Christian leaders to respond with courage, compassion, and truth to the sexual challenges of our age. True story. Need that. In addition to his professional work, Daniel and his wife live in the Wisconsin countryside where they live with their five children. So we got five kids, five kids everywhere. These two are the authors of the book we will be exploring today, Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World, a field guide for parents. Y'all, we need this field guide right now, no matter how old our kids are. Welcome, friends. Hey, thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah. Thank you, Lori. Glad to be here. You guys, I'm so excited to dive into this conversation and we're going to be doing that. I'm super sad that we are dropping the question of the week just for a time. We're just testing it out, Steve. We'll we'll bring you back on. Uh, uh, We we usually do a question of the week that's like a sillier question, but I want to do this question that we have that's not silly. 
uh, but we have still been asking every guest for the last, since the beginning, not of time, but of this podcast. And it's this, if the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagined and yet more sinful than I believe. When was that gospel first good news for you and how is it still? Hey, Josh, let's start with you. Yeah, so I grew up going to church, um, prayed, prayed a prayer when I was young, uh, and then really had a conversion experience, uh, met Jesus, I mean, in, a, in just a significant way when I was in high school. But I really think this area of ministry, I mean, I, I first came to this ministry regeneration because of my own struggles with sexual sin. And there was a big disconnect between what I knew was true about God's love and what I could tell other people and what I really believed myself. Mm. And part of what I began to experience with from people here was this this attention to God's love for me, even when I was confessing stuff that I thought I should be well past this by now. And I remember one, one night, especially, um, I, I can't describe it except there's a kind of a supernatural experience where I had been looking at pornography and um, in the midst of it just uh, stopped. And I was like, I, I got to stop, which was very unusual. And I, I just um, began, cause I'd been learning about this to practice the presence of Jesus and um, and just heard that great, beautiful passage. Um, there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and I just started to repeat it back to Jesus with a question, like, even right now, even right now, mm-hmm. even even the fact that I was just looking at porn, even though you were just looking at porn. And so I just kind of kept asking the question. I kept feeling the Holy Spirit was like, even now, even now, even now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, a, it was a powerful moment. It was a powerful, I mean, it was, it was several moments for me. That was, and I think that was one, one among many, experiences of, of experiencing God's grace in the midst of what for me had been um, the kind of the most shameful piece that I'd been experiencing. Mm. Um, and it's good news right now because I'm a dad and it's hard to be a dad. And I, I get too angry with my kids and I say things and do things that any author of a book like this should never say and do, but there you have it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I need Jesus to continue to give me grace for continuing to be a guy who's growing to try to be a father who loves like Jesus does. Mm. God help us all. All the parents said amen. Oh, man. Daniel, how about you? You know, uh, like Josh, I grew up in the church. Um, and honestly, uh, you know, I, there isn't a time I I can recall that I didn't believe in, in God and, and Jesus as I got to know him more. Um, but, you know, the two parts of your question is kind of law and gospel. Um, the law, you know, I'm more sinful than I can imagine. I do remember time in high school where I was just driving down the road in my car and, you know, nothing that I knew of triggered this, but I, I, I just had this thought, oh man, I'm going to be a sinner for the rest of my life. And I was just really depressed by that. Like I, it finally hit me. I was a sinner and it wasn't going away. Oh, oh. And I didn't feel the gospel at that time. Like I really wasn't pulled out of that. Um, but I've certainly had experiences with, with Christ, uh, you know, throughout my life where um, that unmerited grace is so evident, you know, mm. uh, you know, just to, to feel like the, the, the servant that was forgiven his enormous debt and, and actually being grateful for it and not just pounding, you know, the other guy for his, his little debt. So, um, you know, that, like Josh said, I think that that realization every day that, um, you know, everything is grace everything is grace every day is a gift and try to live that way try to take every moment um not even i mean get to the point where it's not conscious anymore but just to appreciate every day every moment every opportunity with my kids um because this is the best it's going to get i mean until until we meet god face to face well that's true Oh, man. Okay, guys, so you wrote this book. Again, it is called Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World. Uh, Why did you write it? Josh, again, start with you. Yeah, I mean, a couple of reasons. One, um, Daniel and I, between the two of us, we've both been in ministry for about 20 years. Daniel is a researcher and writer, me um, walking with men and women, dealing with sexual sins and struggles on their own. Um, Increasingly, we're both hearing from parents, moms and dads, who are feeling really overwhelmed with this, uh, these these two rivers that are coming together culturally for us right now. On the one hand, is is a world that's really being influenced by pornographic ideas and images, and the other the other river is that just the digital connectivity that we're living in. And so, parents feeling like you know, uh, I, we gave my kids these devices, and 
And, you know, now they're a hundred yards down the field and looking at stuff that I never thought they were looking at. And I don't, I don't know what to do about it. And, um, and really just recognizing we're the, we're the, you know, the kind of tail end of the first generation to live with these two rivers and watching kids get swept down the, the stream. And so we're like, we, we want a resource for parents to not feel intimidated, to not feel overwhelmed by this, mm. um, to be encouraged and, and to, to step boldly into the, those rivers because they're really, really needed by their kids. And we believe that, that they're God's ordained um, priests for their kids, the, the first and foremost uh, influences in their kids' lives. So that's why we wrote the book. And we're dads. <laughs> so that's why we wrote the Here. book. Hey, Daniel, can you talk for a second about what Josh just said? Specifically, we're first generation parents. I've, I've only been hearing that recently, and it's been such a kindness to name because I think with me, with my little kids, I'm like, well, porn's been around forever. I should know this. Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about that first generation piece? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I remember Josh said I've, I've been doing research and uh, for almost 20 years. And I remember the internet, you know, was was Time Magazine's or Newsweek's story of the year in 1995. And so um, I was out of college at that point um, and in my first working experience. But, um, you know, around the turn of the century, they started to notice all this, um, you know, internet addiction. And, and they didn't know what to call it. They didn't have any words for it. So the early researchers were just trying to get a handle on kind of compulsive behaviors online. Um, and they realized there was a, a, a researcher called Dr. Al Cooper. He's since passed away, but he coined the term, the triple A effect, that internet porn is anonymous, accessible, and affordable. And I don't think, you know, parents, I don't think any of us had any sense what the internet was going to do to completely transform um, social life and family life and spiritual life and all of this. We just didn't know it was coming. And so I think those early parents um, probably didn't grapple with this maybe as much as we are because they didn't even know these were issues. Mm. And so I think that is a kindness. We, we do need to speak openly and truthfully about kind of the situation we face. It's not like, like Josh and I really like to get out of this mindset that oh, if porn's in my house, it means I'm a bad parent or we did everything wrong. No, porn is everywhere. Mm. And our kids are going to encounter it at some younger ages and some older ages, but they are because the messages are everywhere. And so now this is a social phenomenon that, that we believe parents and the church especially need to just be upfront about and, 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 be open in addressing we're doing this because it's affecting us the social fabric that our kids are growing up okay so josh this inevitability that daniel just talked about as a parent of young kids like i just want to raise the world to the ground in a inferno of like no more sin you know it's affected our marriage i don't know any marriage that pornography has not affected honestly at this point um but if it is your marriage great please come tell us we want to hear your story but i guess is it truly inevitable and like what's the like usual age that we're seeing kids encounter pornography yeah so there's a there's a study done in 2006 so that's a long time ago now but where the researchers, uh, they, they were interviewing college students about their porn experience up to the, that point. And one of the things they found was that the majority of those students had seen pornography before the age of 18. So that means while they were at home with their parents and their conclusion was that it's it, it has to be assumed, so again, 2006, that it's the normative experience, that it would be unusual for a kid not to have seen, been exposed to pornography before they left their parents' house. So part of what we try to get after in the, in the, in the book is, is how important it is for parents to be engaging with their kids because pornography, like any addictive substance, gets much, much more dangerous when it's hidden, when it's in the dark. And so part of what we want to do is unplug some of the toxicity of it, some of the power that it has to shame and isolate our kids by bringing up conversations about sex and sexuality with them at an early age. So as far as exposure, Daniel, you can speak to that better than I can, the, the early rate of exposure. Can I hand that off to you? Yeah, you can. Um, the you know the last like um, uh, scientifically valid number that I saw, and I've done a, I've read a lot of research, and a lot of the numbers you see out there are just 
completely made up. Uh, they don't correspond to any study, so you got to be careful with that. This study, and again, it's it's probably well over 15 years old, um, or at least 10 years old, said the average age of exposure was about 14, or maybe 14.3 for boys and 14.8 for girls. So that means half of kids had seen pornography uh, before the age of 14. I, I'm certain that number's lower just because of how digitally connected kids are and how parents haven't really increased their awareness over the last 10 years about about technology and, and filters and things and, and just these conversations. So, mm. um, but but again, the, the one thing that stands out more than like, if we don't have an actual average age of exposure, uh, we do know from research that most parents underestimate whether their kids have seen that. And I've seen two studies, one in uh, the US and one in Great Britain over the last few years. And they asked parents and kids both about pornography and, um, you know, 75% of parents felt their kids hadn't seen pornography, but 50% of the kids in those families admitted they had had looked at it. Wow. So that means half of those parents were unaware, you know, of that their kids were looking at pornography. And I think, um, you know, one point we make often is it's not whether my kid would look at pornography or not. That's the wrong question. The right question is, is pornography kind of content or material that's going to respect my family's boundaries and my family's values. And it's not. So pornography is seeking to be found, if you will. And so while we could be frustrated, like you, you know, Josh and I would feel the same way as you, we're just angry um, because it's happened to our kids. But that's why it's so important to be intentional and proactive not only talking about the dangers out there, but more importantly, the beauty of what this was all made for in God's design and give them the positive, the, the beautiful first so that everything else seems to be the counterfeit, not the other way around. That's so good. Uh, all right, Josh, I'm going to ask you now uh, to go there. How do we start with um, talking with our kids, you know, ages maybe even three to eight. Uh, how do we start talking with them about God's design for marriage? Yeah, I think, I mean, early, early on, we want to, and uh, we can do this by just talking about the differences between boys and girls. So our, our kids have natural curiosity about their bodies and about, and eventually about sexuality. So usually the first questions are kind of just noticing anatomy, whether it's on mom and dad or on themselves and a sibling. And so using the right names, you know, this is a penis, this is a vagina. Um, you can, you can use shorthand sometimes, you know, bathing suit areas, those kinds of things, because we want our kids to recognize that these are not like one of the teachers I love. She says, you know, we don't, we don't call our ears uh, a knob knob, you know, so, so why are we going to call our, uh, you know, the, a penis, a wee wee, you know, like we already, we're, if we do that kind of thing all the time, what we end up teaching our kids is that this is, there's something, uh, you know, kind of, different or weird about this part of our body, which we don't want to do. We want to re respect it and treat it with honor. Um, as they get a little bit older, then they're going to be asking about, you know, how does it, how did I, how does it, where does the baby come from? And then how did the baby get in there? And those are, those are great cues for parents to, to answer the questions honestly. And at some point, usually around five or six, to have a conversation about the mechanics of sex that, you know, that when a mommy, and, and, and we love to say, you know, when, wait, a, when wait, a husband wait. Five and, and wife, six, so we're, five and six, Five and six sure, years yeah. old. Okay. That's the earliest I have well, heard it. Okay. Go ahead. What do you say? So, but, well, so, so think about this though. And, and, and I will say like, I, I would tend to start earlier just because of what kids can be exposed to. And we, like Daniel said, we want to lay the, the groundwork. So um, I, I, I will admit that with one of our kids, like, like <laughs> it was too soon for her and we should have done that. We should have read that a little better. She was like, do I have to do that? No, 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 sorry. Mm -hmm. um, but, but part of, but part of usually the response that kids will give is, is either um, that's gross or, okay, great. Can I have a cookie? You know, like it, it's, it, it doesn't have that same kind of sexual romantic um, emotional charge that it has for us as adults who have been exposed to so much. Um, but we, we frame it up in the context of uh, your husband and wife, mommy and daddy, when they love each other, um, and we just walk through the, me the mechanics of that. So 
you know, five, five to seven. I, that's when we, we had the conversation with our kids. And, um, but, but the other thing we want to point out is that it's not one conversation. I think so many parents think about this as I need to have the one conversation. Most kids aren't going to even retain that. I have a friend who, you know, her husband had to talk to his, their boys about what was, you know, what sex was. And then a couple of days later, the kid had a, one of the kids had a question. She said, well, remember what daddy talked to you about? And, and she said that, her son had this blank look on his face, like he never talked to me about that, and her husband had. So, mm. we wanted we we want to talk about it on a regular basis. This is a you know we we talk to our kids about manners, we talk to our kids about sports, we talk to our kids about chores. We're going to have conversations about our bodies and about sex as they grow. And we, I don't mean that we talk to our five to eight year olds about sex all the time, but especially as they as they get to pre adolescent and adolescence, they're going to be exposed to these things. So we want to be having conversations about God's good, beautiful design. Um, all, all through their preteen and, and teenage years, and that's really where the where the book focuses in on. Mm-hmm. So we we want parents who are uh, pre raising preteen kids to be reading this this kind of resource now, so that they're more and more equipped as their kids get older. You're you're looking fu- funny at me. Are you are you kind of going? Oh, I, I don't know about this. Okay, well, again, I only have uh, I only have little kids, and so Matt and I have talked about these things with our kids in very general. When mom and dad love each other. Uh, we've said like this is, tells you how much God loves you, um, and we've mm. you know we said all we've said at this point again the oldest is six, and then it's five and two. Uh, all we've said at this point as far as like mechanics of sex is literally no mechanics of sex, um, but it's all about uh, when parents get married, God can give you a baby. And uh, they know where babies come out and that's it. But they don't know the mechanics. So in myself, so here's my pushback. And I am probably going to lean. It's so funny because I do this job. Look at what I talk about all the time. And yet I'm going to lean protective. And so in my head, I'm like, what's the latest I can tell them (laughs) without it being too late? Because I don't want them to think about it and ruminate on it and then feel, I don't know, the shame that the enemy can have or like, I don't get obsessive or wake up too early to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a couple things about it. So, so one, Lori, again, a good cue is how did the baby get in there? I mean, that's, I think that's a good if cue. If the kid to, asks to, to, that. That the, that the kid's ready. If, if the parents are having conversations where, the, where there's room for a kid to ask that. Um, but a couple of principles that, that we've tried to go by. One is, is we want to be the first ones right. to talk to our kids about this. Um, because uh, the, the, what our kids first hear is what they're going to compare everything else to. And so if, it's, if Jimmy on the playground says, you know, it's not a stork, it's not, you know, it's not magic, here's what it is. Um, now, now when we talk to to, to, uh, to our kids, he's, he's saying, well, that's not what Jimmy said. We, we want our kids to say, that's not what my mommy and daddy told me. Um, the other thing though, Lori, if I could push back a little bit, cause I'm with you. Like I'm, I don't want to have these kind con- I talk to parents about adults about this stuff all the time, but when it comes to my kids, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm like, you know, like, ah, I don't want to mess this up. Yeah. But I think, I think some of our fears are more rooted in our own, um, our own wounds and our own experiences of oh, of, don't of bring my own trauma in into this. Life. No, 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 I don't have issues. Like, I'm talking about myself. <laughs> okay, okay. This is my stuff. I don't, I don't know about you. You can I'm, no, judge no. yourself, but because because the, even the idea that like you know I don't want to I don't want to taint my kids. I don't want them to be tempted. I don't want them to be thinking about these things. Um, that for me at least that comes from you know that's what I was thinking about. That's what happened to me when I was exposed. But but people didn't you know my parents didn't talk to me about sex. Mm. I mean, the first conversation my parents had with me, I was, I was a teenager and it was not a helpful conversation. The, the, mo- the first helpful conversation, I was in college. And I was like, I'm, I don't need to have this conversation with you. I, I got it. Um, but I'd got it from other places. So, Daniel, I think you were going to say something to add into that. Well, yeah. And, and just a story from, from, from our family. Uh, we, I grew up on a farm and uh, we're, we're now living on that farm I grew up on, but we were visiting before we moved back here and the kids were, or we just moved back. And so, you know, grandpa still has cows on this farm. And I had, I was walking around the farm with my five-year-old and my four-year-old. 
and my four-year-old goes, oh, look, Daddy, those cows are stacking, you know, and two cows on top of one, you know, one on top of the other. You know what stacking is. And, of course, I'm laughing, but it was actually an opportunity to say, yeah, that's and that's what they're, you know, and I explained it, you know, what the bull was doing with the cow and how that's how little calves came about. And so no big deal. She didn't even think about it. But I do remember, like, the thing is to be, and Josh said this, just to be sensitive to know kind of relationally when someone's ready. Mm. Um, I had talked to my kids a lot about body parts and things like Josh explained. But there was one time my, my daughter, my eldest daughter, was very, she's very kind of advanced for her age, very precocious. And she knew I was working on this film series in the community, and I was going to show a film on sex trafficking. And she, and she was like 11 at the time. And she said, Dad, what's sex trafficking? And I said, well, in order to explain that to you, I'm going to have to tell you more about what sex is. And you've told me you weren't ready for that. Hmm. And she says, okay, I'm ready. And so I went through the mechanics. You know, the man puts his penis in the woman's vagina. She goes, oh, do you and Mom do that? Oh, boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, really? Yeah. And that, and that was it. And then we have, I mean, that was an opening at 11 and we've, we have deep, serious conversations about sexual things, things she sees at school, the way boys are thinking and talking. And it's opened up because it was, it was just a place of trust and vulnerability and I didn't treat it as weird. And so I think she picked up on that and she didn't treat it as weird so Mm. it's really cool to have really awesome open discussions you know with my daughter about this stuff and I can tell it's not shame-based stuff like she's really curious and she wants to know and she feels like she's getting good you know she doesn't agree with me on almost anything but I know on this stuff she she kind of knows I know what I'm talking about Mm. Hey, Matt, have you noticed? I've been using a different Bible lately. I have. Is it a CSB? Yes, it's a Christian Standard Bible. It's the She Reads Truth one. Are you telling me that you don't just talk about the CSB on ads like this, but you actually read it? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I do actually read it. I'm reading the She Reads Truth one every day now for a bunch of reasons, but the biggest one is I love the margins. I love writing the date and some prayers and real life stuff in it. Do you write about me in there? Um, yes. Like, thank you, Jesus, for how awesome my husband is dated every day of my life? Um, no. (sighs) (laughs) Okay, seriously, guys listening, I am loving not only the margins where I can write only gratitude to the Lord for my awesome husband, Matt. But I love that it was edited by women and the devotionals in it are actually uplifting and not fluffy or patronizing. And the timelines, each book of the Bible has this timeline that helps me to understand what's happening in this book in relationship to the rest of the canon of the Bible. Okay, fine. That's fine. (laughs) Even if you write real stuff about me in it. Okay, well, you can get one, too, and write real-life prayers about me in it. You know your girl needs them. Yeah, well, I need them, too. (laughs) So where can I get this Bible or another Bible like it? Well, you can find the She Reads Truth Bible or any of the CSB versions by hitting up csbible.com. Okay, we're going to shift gears and talk more specifically about pornography because I am sure... Uh, people who are listening have found, uh, whether they're aunts, uncles, friends, or they're getting asked for advice if they're in a ministry position or their parents themselves who have found pornography uh, that their kids have been looking at. Um, What do we do? What do we do if that happens? We find that a kid's been looking at pornography. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of of the, um, just to go back to that last question, one of the reasons it's so helpful for parents to have conversations early with their kids is because when the topic of pornography or any, anything that falls outside of God's will comes up, then we can always refer back to the, the conversations we've had in the past. Remember when we talked about, you remember when we talked about, you know, the way that God designed sex, remember the way that we talked about how God designed the body. Um, and we can, and so now our kids have that reference point to say, you know, this, this is good. This, this, it makes sense here. 
it doesn't make sense here. So, um, so a couple of things, when, when you find a, a son or daughter's familiar pornography, the, the first thing that we recommend is really counterintuitive and it's to not talk to our kids about it. And I explain, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, most parents, when they discover it, freak out. It's a painful, awful thing to discover. Mm. Um, and they need, a, they need an opportunity to, to kind of freak out with somebody and not with their kid. Otherwise, what happens is a parent then takes the, their own pain from what they've discovered, and they're in some ways trying to offload it onto their kids' shoulders. However, kids have been exposed to pornography. They've, they've got enough weight on their shoulders. They don't need our struggle with it on top of, on top of theirs. So we find a trusted adult to freak out with. We do that quickly. We don't want to, you know, wait days and days. But if you wait a day or two, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. We can take a breath. Um, but then we do need to follow up. And so a couple just really practical pointers we recommend in the book. One is um, we want to find a time and space where there's a little bit of a buffer on the on the before beforehand and afterwards. So we don't we don't um, you know dive bomb our kids right when they walk in you know, from the door from basketball practice. Likewise, we don't have a conversation with them right before they leave for school because we want them to have some space to breathe so that if she, if shame comes up and pornography is a shaming thing, so they're likely to feel, feel some shame around what's been happening. Um, we want them to be able to offload that, to be able to decompress a little bit before they have to, you know, be in front of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Miss Johnson at school or whatever. Um, and then we recommend just addressing it directly so one, one mistake I've seen a lot of parents make is they discover something and then they ask questions uh, or try to frame something up to get their kid to open up about it. So they ask questions they already know the answer to, which I, in my experience really just paints a parent into the corner because now, now they've not only have to, you know, cause it, it's an, it's a natural human response, unfortunately, but it's natural. We see this even back in Genesis three, that when we're found out in our sin, we like to run and we like to hide. It's a protective mechanism. And so instead of, inviting our kids to lie to us or to, you know, to, to evade the truth, we just let them know what we know. Mm. And so, Hey, Tammy, when, you know, when your phone was on the counter the other day, I picked it up, I looked at it and I could see that for the last several days, you've been looking at some pornographic content. Can you tell me about that? So we don't say, Hey, Tammy, so how's, how's the internet going for you? <laughs> you seen anything, you know, bad on there? Cause, cause now, now we've, what we've done is if she makes up a lie or evades, then, then, then she, what she discovers that what we want to do is to trap her as opposed to, we want to have a conversation with her. Um, and then we see where things unfold from there. So I could talk a lot more about that, but I'll, I'll stop there. Daniel, did you want to jump in? Well, I just, there's one thing. I mean, there's two, two ways parents find out about pornography and one is the discovery, like the question you asked, but the other is disclosure. And we know that some kids, um, and may, you know, this could happen in any family. It's probably going to happen where the relationships are stronger and there's a, an element of trust there, but a kid might come, teenager might come and say, Hey mom, dad, I, I'm struggling with something. I, I've started looking at pornography or maybe, um, they feel like we know and they want to get in front of it. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why kids will disclose, but I think one of the things is, is is whether it's disclosure or discovery, and this can happen in the process of talking this through, is uh, when 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 your son or daughter shares this struggle with you, it's really important to tell them how proud you are of them and to tell them how courageous that was because it's really hard step to to bear yourself on something you're ashamed about. So, well, I'm really proud of you for coming to me. And, and I don't want you to have to bear this alone. I'm glad I know so, so I can see how I can help you. And, um, you know, one of the things, and I learned this from Josh as we were in the process of writing the book, is that um, sometimes kids will admit to a little bit and kind of see what the response is before they kind of really tell the full truth. And so that's one of the reasons why having kind of a non-anxious, non-trapping non-accusatory type attitude and approach is so helpful because hmm. again we're we're trying to be mentors and guides for our kids not just um, protecting them or enforcing the rules while they're in our house because they're going to leave at some point so we want to be the kind of people that they uh, trust and and know they're respected so i think that that um that point about just 
praising them and 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 assuring them of your love in that moment it's kind of like your question at the beginning how did you when did you feel like you were a really miserable sinner when did you feel the love of god being an overwhelming that's an opportunity for our kids to feel the gospel right there when it could be the most painful most vulnerable moment mm. so josh i know in our conversations and um We've before this podcast, we talked about just the necessity of parents understanding the why of marriage and the beautiful gospel narrative because so much of the teaching around sexuality, gender, all of it has been no, 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 just wait for marriage, it'll fix it all. And then look, everybody's got a porn problem in marriage, great. Uh, also, marriage is not the answer to all of our heart issues. So, can you speak a little bit to some of the heart? heart work and brain theology work that parents need to have uh, before, except I don't want to say it's too late. They can gain today even uh, as they're engaging these conversations with their kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we could, we could rewind and um, I don't want to sound like a commercial. I, I really hope people pick up the book because there's, there's so much in this and we really want, and, and the heart of the book is really to try to create um relational dynamic in our home where this stuff is is lived out breathed conversated about it's conversated a word let's do it we have conversations it about i'll make it a word where, 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 where we're talking about these things because it, it's it's hard to grasp it's it's lived experience um and all of us struggle so one of the um one of i remember hearing the story from a, a a youth worker years ago who was talking about talking to his youth group about sex and um it was the it was a standard i don't think people do this as much anymore but it was the standard just kind of like i'm trying to scare these kids and mm. talk to them about you know you don't want to be damaged goods when you're married you want to oh, you know you should stay pure till marriage like um and the way he illustrated it was he he asked he had a he asked the students anybody want a piece of gum and he held a piece of gum and the you know bunch of hands went up so he popped the gum into his mouth chewed it and then went out and handed and offered it to a kid said you know do you want it now and they said no that was his illustration for you know wait till till marriage to have sex because you know you don't want to be like this piece of gum well that's such crap yeah i mean that i mean i that that i'm sorry i'm i'm still over my words because the my my thought immediately goes to what did you just tell that 13 year old girl that 15 year old guy who's who's already dropped the ball in this area of their life who's already learn about porn and masturbation or had sex or whatever, yep. you just told them that the, the, the vision for godly sexuality is, is all in the rearview mirror. Part of what we try to do in this book is really help parents to see if, if they're going to have a, a robust enough vision that they're going to put in front of their kids and in front of themselves, it has to be something that is always out in front of them. And so it's, it's not something that can be, that can be lost. And, and so really the, the big arching overarching picture for what we want to teach our kids is, what is real love? What does love look like? Because, and we all want to grow in that virtue of, of self-giving love, because whether, whether we're a parent or a kid, we're on that journey, whether we've had sex or we haven't had sex, we're on that journey, whether we're married or single, we're on that journey. And so um, it's, it's something that is always out in front of us. And that's honestly the, I mean, I think, you know, the, the greatest command is love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself. So it, it, we've got biblical backing. This is a, this is a worthwhile aspiration throughout life. Mm. And I've hardly answered your question, Lori. So, so um, if I could just take a, a minute longer that um, the, the, in, in scripture, sex is always framed. I know you've had Christopher West on, on your podcast. Um, sex is by God's design meant to be sex with a marriage is meant to be an image of God's love for his people beginning in Genesis one twenty seven. We see it in the Song of Solomon, which people understood is not just about it about uh, um, human erotic love, but also about God's love for His people. We see it in Ephesians five when God, when Paul writes about the great mystery is Christ loves His church like a husband is meant to love his wife, um, and we see it at the end of the book of Revelation when we're when the bride is is aching and calling and wanting the bridegroom um, to return. And so, what we part of what we want to do with our kids is begin having conversations about this is real love and this is what sex what marriage is meant to point us to and and as we as we kind of get in captured by that captivated by that as parents 
I think then we can, we'll, we'll begin to see it everywhere because this is the love that we're designed for. So whether it's a, you know, a, a song we're listening to or a movie we're watching, we'll, we'll better be able to identify counterfeits and we'll also be able to call out the, the beautiful and, we'll, and hopefully untwist some of the beautiful from some of the profane. Mm. Did I answer your question? I'm, I'm, yeah. I get passionate about this. And so I get conceptual and I, and I kind of leave the, <laughs> leave, the, leave the ground a little bit when I try to answer. I can do the same thing if anyone's ever heard me speak, but it's good. And it, it, it's very good. So thank you. Um, and it makes me think of, you know, haven't yet stepped into the, the mechanics of sex conversation yet with our kids. Um, but I love y'alls um, from Michigan, just still say it, uh, y'alls, um, what is the beauty? What is the yes? So that the what my parents said and what God says helps me identify the counterfeit as opposed to Johnny and Susie on the playground. First, my is actually the Bible of sex that I first learn. And then my parents, mm-hmm. I, I put up against that. But then, too, I'm just thinking of my kids helping them make friends in kindergarten and helping them to discern what makes a good friend, what makes a bad friend, yeah, um, which yeah. is very general. And I know we shouldn't say a bad person, but I have to use simple language at times with my little kids. Uh but I'm hearing in that if we see the yes in the smile of God in marriage and in sex and sexuality, it's going to be easier, Lord willing, for our kids to discern what darkness is. Okay, Daniel, what do you want to throw in there? Well, um, you know, one of the things, whether it's, it's uh, kids who are very young, kind of in the between years or teens, I, I, I'm kind of, um, I have an analytical mind, so this, this isn't how everyone would approach this, but, uh, when I, when our kids were young, I thought, okay, I'm going to teach them about their bodies. I'm going to teach them about, um, as I, you know, do this, don't do that. So there's kind of right and wrong, but there's also design and purpose. And so when when my daughter's threatening, kind of seeing what I'll do if she's going to sit in her dolly stroller, it's like, okay, that's not made for that. And it cannot bear your weight. And, you know, maybe I'm too technical in my language, but I'm like, because you're using it in a way it's not meant for, it's going to be damaged mm-hmm. and it's going to be hurt. And so she sits on it anyways and thing collapses and, and that's the end of the dolly stroller. And, and I think those conversations early on you know that's not we don't stick peas in our nose that's not where they belong um we're talking about purpose and design and so as kids you know are more interested uh having more questions about sexuality about romantic feelings about um dating it's like well like josh said how are we meant to love what kind of people are we meant to be what kind of relationships reflect this best and so that, that going back to that Genesis 1 and 2, Ephesians 5, like all throughout the Bible, we see this. Um, we see two things. We see God's plan, and we see how sin mars it throughout. And that, But we do see redemption as well. And so I think that those are the messages we can bring to our kids. Like, look, God does have a plan. None of us have followed this out perfectly. No one ever will apart from Jesus. But there's redemption and there's hope because, you know, this makes the cross real. Mm -hmm. Because we screwed up doesn't mean it's over. Like Josh said, it's not in the rearview mirror because what we're after um, in our own lives as well as, you know, teaching our kids is how do we cultivate good habits of the heart? How do we dust ourselves off and then keep our eyes fixed on Christ, keep our eyes fixed on the, the life that he has created us for and then redeemed us mm-hmm. for and so um it, it it there's always it's always kind of a bittersweet message you know at least in our house like yes we don't always act the way we should that's called sin mm. people around us don't always act the way they should that's sin too but we can be mindful of these things and continue to again keep our eyes fixed on christ and and i think a lot of a lot of this kind of happens without us knowing. And, and I think that's the, that's the impetus to keep talking, keep teaching. You never know when it's going to kind of sink in. Mm-hmm. But I believe, um, God willing, it, it does, at least in some degree. 
into prayer heads off. You know, I think that's a phrase from yeah. my own mom who birthed <laughs> 12 humans. Absolutely. And um, I think just as I'm, I'm hearing you guys both speak, I hear a lack of shame. I hear a lot of patience. Again, I, for the 10th time, I wish Matt was here because you guys would get along really well. Similar temperaments, both in the uh, patience aspect as well as the analytical um, yet counseling care hearts. But I just feel the need to say this to those parents listening. If your kids fail, make a mistake. They are not failures and you are not a failure. This is not your identity. That's not their identity. That's not your identity. And so as much as you can, Josh, how you said to take when you wake up to when they fail, whatever it is, pornography, etc., to go to the Lord with that and to immerse yourself in him uh, God, am I am I still okay? I, I think that calm heart that you both are modeling is is going to be fruit from uh, identity as parents rooted in Him. Yeah, can I can I piggyback Please. that, Lori? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. So, um, when we talk about this image of of love and the image of marital love that uh, that is is meant to point towards Christ, what you're describing is. Is the is the confluence of of those two points of of truth and grace mm. because our bridegroom is naked on the cross saying this is my body given for you when we fail and falter when our kids fail and falter that message this is my body given for you is 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 that's the those are the capital letters the love that we are after and 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 so our our tiny reflection of that in a marriage vow is this is my body given for you. This is my life given for you that we can do that in, in friendships. We can do that in different ways as we serve. And so that's, that's the love that we're after. That's the bigger vision before us. And so when Daniel says we keep Christ in front of us, we aspire to that kind of love. And when we falter and fall way short of it, we, we set our eyes back on that, on that kind of love because it's exactly what we need. We need his body given for us. So yes. And amen. And, um, and we and we do hope that this both the podcast and the book is is a place where parents will experience that kind of grace and His presence for them, um, because it's not just about downloading something to our kids. It, it really is about um, what we're taking in, the gospel we're taking in, the spirit of Christ we're taking in that we can convey to them as we walk with them day by day. Amen. Now, we started with a question for each of you. Uh, for season five, we're doing something new, ending with a question that I want to ask everyone, because honestly, I see so much hopelessness and despair, especially in this sexuality conversation. So I guess with the lens of your field uh, in, in your mind or over your eyes, um, why is Jesus worth following still in 2021, even in this conversation? Yeah, you, uh, just what comes to mind is is when Jesus was teaching and um, he had some hard hard sayings and people left and he turns to the uh, the apostles, his close group of disciples, and he says, "Will you leave me too?" And Peter says, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life." And you know that's part of our worship service. You know we sing that in our worship. You know. And uh, I, I love those words because where are we going to go in this culture? We, we have a choice, and the choice is pretty stark. Um, Jesus is offering us a vision of respect, dignity, uh, love, grace, self-sacrifice, um, self-giving, all of this. And the world is taking, using, grinding dehumanizing degrading like jesus is still the only answer for all of this and even in sexuality um don't look at the world you know be aware of the world but the world's the world's always going to be dying you know and jesus is always bringing life there's always new life in christ and so with our kids again we we have hope because we're not walking this journey alone. We're not walking this on our own strength. We're walking this fully in and with the life of Christ, giving us that strength, that wisdom and discernment, uh, that inspiration, encouragement, 
And, th- and that's why we want to tread boldly. That's why we have hope. Praise God. And, and what does look like a dark world? Praise God. Thank you. That's a word. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I mean, that same passage came to mind for me. Where else will we go? And I, um, I, I learned a long time ago and I, in my own kind of really sticky battle leaving pornography behind. Um, someone taught me just the value of, of beholding the cross, the, the crucifixion. And um, it is a place that I, re- I return often because I'm, I'm, I can't cease to be enamored with the courage and the love of Jesus on the cross. I know he didn't have to be there, but there he took all the sin of the world. He took my sin. He took things that are too much for me. This internal, infinite God become flesh. Um, and I was just talking to uh, one of my staff earlier today who has just been through a, a lot of painful stuff in their life and, um, and who has such hope. And I, I've, I've told them often, I said, I, you know, I don't want to go through the stuff you've gone through, <laughs> but I really, I, I respect and appreciate the, the fruit of hopefulness that's in your life. And I think one of the things I've learned as I've talked to them is, is there is something about the, the depth of God's love that, that is underneath all the pits that we could fall into. And so however much the earth might seem like it's opening up and, and the kind of dread that we see in our humanity looking down this pit, um, when we when we kind of encounter those pits, the love of Christ, the actual the presence of Christ who went down to the grave for us, um, meets us there, and He promises us that He can raise us up to resurrection. and And so there there is no grave that we're going to go to. And that, this is why I think beholding the cross, beholding Jesus on the cross, is is such a hopeful place. Um, not just even in the dark times, but maybe even especially uh, through those dark times, because because that. The, the cross is such a dark place um, mm. that is also filled with uh, infinite hope. And that I say that in my head, you know, parenting day by day life, I, I strive, I strive for that, but um, that's, that's how I'd answer that, Lori. So good, man, guys, thank you so much, Daniel. How can people find more about you? Yeah. Um, I've got uh, my own website. It's faithfilled.family instead of .com. It's .family, faithfilled.family. Awesome. And Josh, where can people find the book and find your work? So you can find more about our book at treadingboldly.com. I'd love for you to check it out. Um, tell your friends and loved ones. And then also you can find more about me. You could you could go to my website, joshglazer.com, but it, it's actually more of my stuff is on my ministry website, which is regenerationministries.org. Love it. Man, guys, thank you for bringing uh, both a, a beautiful pastoral word and some really practical uh advice is such a trite word but it was advice just offerings for parents who are discovering these things every day and uh, i just pray that it it blesses many yeah Lori, thanks for having us thanks for what you do yeah it's a blessing yeah absolutely thanks so much we're so glad to talk with you okay guys please go check out treading boldly through a pornographic world follow josh and daniel they just told you their sites we will have them on the show notes and go live and spread the good news of the gospel in a world desperate and hungry for it thanks again to josh glazer and daniel weiss and for all of us here at the hole in my heart podcast we will see you next week